0: Reggae Uprising, with your host, Daniil. Greetings Reggae Uprising podcast family and welcome to another episode. If you are Fresh and new to Reggae Uprising podcast It is all about connecting people of the African diaspora Through wisdom, overstanding, inspirational stories All backed by a soundtrack of sweet reggae music So each and every Wednesday we feature a new guest Who shares their journey, their wisdom And their seven reggae selections to act as the soundtrack Sometimes we do switch it up a little bit though Um, For example, throughout the summer, we had our special editions. So we had the Exodus edition where we featured the Gambia, Ghana, Ethiopia and Uganda. We also in the summer had our self-healing series in which we featured... Different aspects of mental health and self-healing, which were most prominent at the time with everything that's been going on in the world. Um, So if you want to know more detail about that, I'm not going to say I'm going to say you need to go look at that and find what is most useful and what speaks to you personally. And then in August, we also had our Reggae Artist Spotlight where we featured artists such as Jamieson, uh, Pressure Bus Pipe, Kenya Eugene, Amalat Red Square. It's great, great interviews. Um, so we had some great feedback for all of those editions. Um, actually, in October as well, in October, is very, very popular. We had our Black Trios. So what we did in October is we took trios from our past. So each week we featured a different trio and shone a light on them. So shone their stories, brought them to life, played a soundtrack to go with each one of them. So for example, we had the Black Love Trio, we had the Black Gold Trio, we had the Black Strategy Trio and we had the Black Vision Trio. So they were really, really popular and There's probably some stories that you may already be aware of, but I guarantee you there's one, at least one, in that series, if not all of them, um, that you might not be aware of. Um, So we wanted to shine a light on s- profound stories in our past to empower and inspire you today on your own journey. So if you haven't already checked out our special editions, we have other special editions as well um, from the beginning of the year, from last year, that are all full of wisdom um, and s- and something to spark a fire. Like I said, this podcast is all about sparking a fire for your own journey in hearing the journeys of your brothers and sisters. So... Please check out those previous episodes, whichever you are drawn to is obviously the ones that you're supposed to listen to. But I just wanted to give you a little bit of an insight before we get started today. Please subscribe to Reggae Uprising podcast if you haven't, wherever you are listening to it. You can also find it via my website, daniel.co.uk, so that's D-A-N-I-E-A-L.co.uk, where you can find all of my social media. And you can also contact me, obviously, via social media, but there's also a contact page on denial.co.uk, where you can get in touch with me if you would like to feature on a future episode, if you'd like to recommend somebody that you feel should be featured on a future episode, if you would like to collaborate with me maybe on a future project that you're thinking about doing. Also, I, as well as being your host for Reggae Uprising podcast, I am also a singer-songwriter of conscious soul or reggae music. So if you go to denil.co.uk, you can also check out my original works. So you can check out my music videos, my music, and you can also get all of my performance dates. So you can, if you are in the country that I'm in at the time, you can come and see me live. Uh, you can also subscribe via daniel.co.uk co.uk so that you are always up to date you always know what's going on um so yeah thank you for everybody's support that has already subscribed to this podcast and to my website and follows me on social media thank you so so much it really does mean so much that you support my works so thank you right i think it's about time we got started with today's guests first selection which is Altarachi and Donovan Joseph how I just
1: black the black I just Mirage, 1954. Burnt in the and can't do it again. the the And sit the Build
0: to the black right. This week's guest is founder of the Black Books Webinar. Two times best-selling author, radio presenter, public speaker, book coach and freelance journalist. His debut book is called The Rise of Rastafari, Resistance, Redemption and repatriation, and his second book, Life in Gambia, The Smiling Coast of Africa. I would like to welcome this week's guest, Makanan Sankofa. Greetings and welcome.
2: Yes, greetings, Danielle. Thank you very much for having me, and thank you very much for the very warm introduction to your show.
0: You're more than welcome. Now, before we get into this interview, can you just give give us an insight into why you chose that first selection that we just heard?
2: Right, and the reason why I chose the first selection is as you mentioned earlier, I'm the author of the, the book The Rise of Rastafari at Resistance, Redemption and Repatriation. And that the tracks, in particular that track, I wanted to link with my um with my books and that song there is called The Howellites, and the Howellites were um, some of the original Rastafarians. Um, Leonard Percival Howell, who's accredited to being the pioneer of the Rastafari movement, and his followers were called the Howellites. So um, that particular particularly song had significant to me, myself being a Rastafarian, and also as I've written a book, The Writers of Rastafari. And there's a particular a chapter in my book where I talk about the emergence of Rastafari and Leonard Howell. And I think why it's really, really important, and we, when you hear the song as well, he we talks about, about Pinnacle getting raided. And I'm going to go on to talk about Pinnacle, but why it's so important, I think, in Rastafari, I mentioned this in my book, and in general, I think people like Leonard Howell and the Howellites, um, they often get people. It's almost untold the story. I mean, people are more familiar with the groups that have come on later, such as maybe Boba Shanti, 12 Tribes, etc. But like the original Rastafarians, people like Lennon Howell and the Howlites, they're often unspoken about, even by some Rastafarians themselves that don't speak about them very much, or in the mainstream, it's very much untold. So that song uh, is very, very important, particularly as they mentioned um, the Howlites and pertaining to Pinnacle. And for those who don't know, Pinnacle was the... Uh, at one point, it was the most self-sufficient uh, community in the island of Jamaica, and that was established by Leather Percival Howell, who was the pioneer of the Rastafarian movement and the Howellites. And they uh, lived on Pinnacle, it was in Saint Catharines, Jamaica, on 500 acres of land. And they they farmed there, and they um, there were skilled craftsmen there. Uh, they grew ganja, and it was really, really a self-empowered, self-sufficient community based on nation building. Uh, one of the main pillars of Rastafarianism is is nation building so that song to me really was um I felt was a need to to in it obviously to to people like Leather Percival Howard the Howardites and then linking it in a bit with my book as well.
0: So you touched on Pinnacle there can you is there any other wisdom that you can share on this subject because I feel like we can't just leave it at that we've got to you know go go a bit more in depth with that.
2: Yeah, so Pinnacle was established between um, 1940, 1941, sorry, to 1958, and it was established in, in Jamaica, in uh, St. Catharines, Jamaica. As I mentioned earlier, it was established on 500 acres of land. Now, the reason why uh, Pinnacle was established, um, going into like the, the Rastafarian movement now, I mentioned earlier, Leonard Howell, he was like, the, the pioneer of the Rastafarian movement, alongside people like Joseph Hibbert, Robert Hines, and Archibald Dunkley. And something that they was very much advocating is the need, particularly the need for people of African heritage in the diaspora um, to, to do for self. I mean, going into the context now of, let's like, say the origins of Rastafari, right, um, which is a movement in Jamaica that emerged, uh, rose about in the 1930s. And it rose about really um, when Emperor Haile Selassie was crowned um, Emperor of Ethiopia. And you've got to look at the context of what was happening at the time in Jamaica. So when you're talking about people from even prior to that period from you know the 15th 16th century people from west africa that had been taken and then enslaved into places like jamaica and other islands in the caribbean and also the americas as well but i want to focus on the caribbean in particular the Jama- jamaica jamaica here because this is where rastafari really emerged from and uh when the africans that they were enslaved and then during that process they lost a lot of their identity their culture language was all stripped away from them them. And then even after slavery ended, you still had uh, the British colonial period. So you're looking at slavery and colonialism. So in essence, the whole African identity, everything could be like whitewashed away from them. And they told that, you know what, things African is denigrate, things African, things African or things black or backwards thing to look to, you know, the king, the, the white king at the time or things Western, et cetera, white. So um, there was a lot of this inferiority complex by a lot of people of um, African heritage that was living in the Caribbean, which went on for centuries, and still some remnants goes on to this day. But so when Haile Selassie was crowned Emperor of Ethiopia in 1930, um, it was very significant, particularly those people in the Caribbean, because they never had seen a uh, a black king before. And what it did was give people a memory of going long before that back into um, and giving them a hi- uh, history. I think Mutabruka said that um, slavery didn't it. Didn't start African history, slavery interrupted African history, and that's true, but during that process of slavery and colonialism, it wiped black people, people of African heritage to think that, that they didn't have a history. So, which is which is obviously a lie, because going back, you can go to Kemet, the great Zimbabwe, um, Timbuktu, home of the first university, and various African civilizations that were there, um, the Moors that went into Spain and, sh- and showed Europeans how to bathe. And um, it gave people a memory that, uh, yes, people of African heritage, black people, they come from, um, obviously, they, they've got a strong history, and some of us were kings and queens, and it was very significant to this day. Ethiopia has never been, uh, never been colonized, but I don't want to get too... I, I want to come into like, the relevance now of Pinnacle, because this is what we're talking about. And um, going into Pinnacle, um, so one of the, the main uh, principles of Rastafari is, is nation building. It's really as a whole about people um, of African heritage, black people, to start doing for self and being independent and self-sufficient. And, and um, Pinnacle was a prime example of nation building because it had it. It, it, it was try- what Pinnacle showed was trying to. Um, break away from the kind of colonial system that was in place, the status quo. Rassafari is, a mo- is really about a rejection of colonialism, a rejection of, you know, that's the status quo of resisting against uh, colonialism, resisting against white supremacy and it was uh, a prime example of, you know, what people black people can do for self and um, what they were doing on Pinnacle is, I mean, they had they had uh, businesses that were run, they banked their own money in Pinnacle, it was a self-sufficient commune um, that was established, there. Friday self-sufficient community and um it was a prime example of of, of nation building unfortunately over the years pinnacle got raided because the the government uh, the jamaican government uh, called a colonial government um they were very prejudice against Rastafari because they looked at Rastafari as you know these group of people that was anti system against the status quo and obviously they wanted to maintain that. So several times Pinnacle was raided. It eventually got raided in nineteen fifty four which was a big raid on Pinnacle and then um, in nineteen fifty eight it was finally destroyed and people and a lot of Rastas dispersed to places like Bakawal and uh, and other places. But um, yeah Pinnacle was a place which which um which uh, thousands of of, of, rest of
0: I almost want to go more and more in depth, but we need to speak about you first. We need to, you know, lay the foundations of you for our listeners. Um, so as I ask all of my guests, can you tell us about your heritage, as this show is all about connecting people of the African diaspora?
2: Yeah, so my mum's family are Jamaicans, so my mum uh, was born in England um, where I was born. However, her parents, both of our parents are from Jamaica and my dad is from Malawi, which is in Southeast Africa.
0: Okay. And, you know, um, through your childhood in your household, were there any particular traditions that were held? Um, were there certain types of music that were played that you can remember and really resonate with you and your childhood?
2: Um, I'm just thinking about one song that comes to my my head now. There's this one song called Proud to be Black. And I remember my mum used to have, um, so, uh, uh, First, it was actually the vinyl, but this wasn't on vinyl. I think this was on tape, but it was like it was like cassettes. People, millennials now, a lot of a lot of people now won't, won't even know what cassettes is, but it was back in cassettes then. And um, yeah, it was it was called "Proud to Be Black." I think that was something that that um, it didn't necessarily stick out to me then, but I think um, now as I've got older and and, and coming out into like black consciousness, I think that's that's something that um, has stuck out to me as I've got older.
0: And how did your your parents actually meet? Um, Did they meet in the UK? Or and and why were they over here in the UK? How did that all come about?
2: So yeah, they met here in the in the UK. Now, my mom came here in the UK. Would have been because of her parents were part of that. Um, would have been a Windrush generation, um, which between um, 1948 to 1970s was a mass um, immigration of uh, people from the Caribbean uh, that came to the, uh, this country, England, as a result of um, the World War Two, to as they were invited by Queen uh, Elizabeth to to help rebuild the country from the World War. So um, that's as a result of where my my grandparents came to the country uh, during that era and then obviously my mum was born here in England, my dad he came to the country I think when he was in his early 20s, I believe it's definitely his 20s, I believe his early 20s um I'm not sure whether it was the eight, I think it may have been the eighties or seventies, but yeah, when he was in his early twenties um, and he, um, his parents, they were, he was born in Malawi, so he wasn't born in England. He came here um, at a young age.
0: So what kind of jobs did your parents have? Did your, did your father have the job that he expected to have when he come, came over here or was it completely different to what I'd been told? What was his experience of initially coming to the UK?
2: You know what? I wasn't raised with my dad, so I was raised with my mum's family. So I, when I was little, um, I have little recollection of like my father because probably I probably may have seen him a few sometimes when I was you know like a little toddler, a little baby. But until I was about maybe I don't know four or five, I didn't see him again till I was maybe like about fourteen. Like at that kind of age so for that period I was like raised in a single mother household with with just my mum.
0: If there's any dish that reminds you of your mum and home and just makes you feel good it's like a warm hug what is that dish for you?
2: <laughs> that dish for me um curry go. I would say yeah curry go and uh, rice and peas. I'll, I've got a shout out my nan for mention. I always love my nan. My nan snapper. So, um, but those those are the particular meals, um that that would stick out to me. Definitely, definitely Caribbean food in general because my my and my nan cook like Caribbean food.
0: And do you have your own sig- signature dish? Have you, has it been passed um, on i'm not I, uh, i'm
2: not i'm not really a, a, a big cook to be honest i i need to get more um get more into it but no, my I, my favorite dish though is is, is jerk chicken like, i do cook jerk chicken from time to time as well i haven't cooked in a while but um i would say jerk chicken
0: we're gonna move on to your next selection which is bob marley zimbabwe can you tell us why you chose this selection
2: yeah, I chose the selection by Marley, Zimbabwe. Um, Bob Marley um, was is is a, is a legend. I mean, Bon Marley, in my eyes, is the greatest uh, reggae artist that, that's ever been that's ever existed. Um, bon Marley as well. Um, he did great. Uh, works in propagating uh, and spreading the message of, of Rastafari. I think I couldn't have a uh, a playlist selection and not have a Bob Marley song um, in terms of what he means for reggae and what he means for Rastafari. And there's actually a chapter in my book where I talk about uh, reggae and, and Rastafari and the, the role, the influence of Rastafari on reggae music. But I want to concentrate now more on. Mali and Zimbabwe, because I've chose that specific song. And um, the reason why um, that song, Zimbabwe, is um, uh, at, at the time, again, Lincoln um, now talking a bit more into historical context, but... Um, at the time where uh, Bob Mali was singing Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe was in uh, was in a similar kind of situation at uh, South Africa, um, like apartheid, albeit not called apartheid, but it was very similar in terms of how uh, things were segregating in Zimb- in Zimbabwe and how things were um, set in terms of the you not know, the privileged white class which stolen the land of the native black people and then um, basically in, um, imposed. Thing, things in their country, which gave the white people more rights over the black people. And the, what they were fighting for in Zimbabwe was they were fighting for independence and they were fighting for freedom, just like they were like, in a lot of other African countries that were under colonial rule and particularly like how it was in the neighbouring country, South Africa, because I said, in Zimbabwe, it almost mirrored what was happening in, in, in South Africa and so many races. There's a lot of um, resemblance between, similarities between how the two, um, what happened in both of those countries. So um, that song really is about liberation and and, and liberating uh, Zimbabwe. When when bon Mali uh when they, when they got the independent Zimbabwe under Robert Mugabe, um, Bob Mali he actually went to Zimbabwe and he performed. And when he performed in Zimbabwe, I think they they didn't have the money to afford him to pay for it for it. But he because he loved Africa so much, he went to Zimbabwe and he took the equipment and stuff and he did and he just did the concert for them um, for. Free. And um, something that stands out in that concert, I think, well, during that concert, there was some gas. I think it was tear gas or so some kind of gas that was sprayed on the concert, and people were leaving from the arena. But Bob Marley, he was still singing his song, up and performing, and and, and, and that just shows again the kind the character of Bob Marley. Of something there's like this gas, there's a spray going on, but he's he, he's still out there performing. And um, I mean, just you could even look at like in in, in Jamaica when the attempt to. Uh, assassination of Bob Marley, and then the next day he was still performing at the concert. But um, I, I thought that was just significant um, in the context of having the Bob Marley song and Zimbabwe and, and what was going on in Zimbabwe and and and, and uh, liberation of it.
0: Here we go with Bob Marley, Zimbabwe. Every
1: man got the right to decide. It. fight this little struggle cuz that's the only way we can overcome a little trouble brother you're right you're right you're right you're right you're, right, you're so right we gonna fight we going fight we we'll love to fight we going fight we gonna fight we gonna fight for rights
0: could you share with us your school days your childhood what was it like growing up in the uk for you did you enjoy school did you not enjoy school did you have a good experience um in your childhood growing up in the uk
2: (laughs) that's an interesting question you know um i kind of had a love-hate relationship (laughs) with school like i know i like i like primary school a lot um I, um, a lot of my relatives my cousins and my brothers we all went to like the same primary school is like Rafan primary school and um, afterwards we always used to like go to my nan's house and just have fun you know? we're not with kids chilling out and um, uh, and and uh, sometimes people from the school would come over afterwards to 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 my to my nan's house, and would be all a bunch of kids just just chilling out and out. So I had good memories of the people that I was at. Um, at Rafferty in general, um, I think we're, were very, very good. And, I, and I, I kind of, I liked primary school. Going into secondary school, um, I didn't quite like the secondary school that I, I, I went to. But I think that's something now to do with, with the kind of school I went to because it was like a private school, which is a bit further away. And I don't think I really kind of um, Fitted in with the kind of people that was in that kind of private school environment. Even though, I mean, I was popular and I had loads of friends, etc. But I just don't think it was like my. I don't think it was my kind of people was in that kind of um, in, environment. Going into college, um, and I, I, I liked I like I like college a lot, uh, and university absolutely loved to go to university. The experience of being independent on and um, having time away. I went to university in Southampton where I stayed there and uh, later at University of Babyshire when I finished my degree but particularly when I was in Southampton for three years and that was an experience because of, up until then I, I'd been like staying at home at my mum's house but then being able to go on my own um, in, the, in the world and then obviously learning so many things because you're, you're independent on your own as a, the a first time you know you're going you're going out and um but yeah, that was that was a, a unique um, experience to me. I think so many happen, things happened while I was at university, and it was not just even just learning in, in terms of like school, like what I did sports journalism, but in terms of like uh, life experience and developing as a man.
0: So, in your experience of the education system, did you experience any discrimination? Um, what was that like going through the different systems for you?
2: You know what, an education system. I didn't really think that I, I I experienced any like racism or overt racism in education. I'd say, at, particularly at, at university. Um, I think that they, I think that uh, say secondary school. I didn't think the education system was very good at that particular particular school. But saying that, I don't think I experienced any. Um, it was it was because it was race. I just don't think the education system was good at that school, but. In terms of, and at all, I, was, I didn't think I was discriminated, but at university um, was, was brilliant. And I think the reason why university was brilliant, and I went to universities, Southampton and University of Derbyshire, was that the uh, people that was teaching were people that were skilled in their professions. So they, so they wouldn't be people. I did sports journalism, people that worked for BBC, or I mean Sky Sports, or people that worked for this newspaper, or, or professionals in their field, so they knew what they were talking about. And the treatment they gave me, I always felt that I could... I could um, you <sighs> Talk to someone. Though. They was always always available for me at both universities. So I would say it's definitely university was good. Um, at college, um, I would say I had to. You had to push yourself again. I don't think. I think I got along fine with the teachers. The head of six form I got along really well. But I think one thing is when I was doing the courses, um, I had to push myself to get the to get the grades, etc. Because one thing I didn't like was they was they they, they said that they're only going to teach you up to like a a grade like a D grade. But then you've got to go and, and study more if you want to get like a cba which to me is kind of ridiculous because when you when you're trying to go to uni or places it's all about a to z's no one wants to hear about lower grades and that but that's what that's what that's what um one of the teachers i remember saying but I, but um obviously that, that 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 means you obviously just push yourself meet an independent learner but I, again i thought that some of the other teachers that was one teacher not all the teachers other, the other teachers at the, the um, at the sixth form I got along well with. Um, At at my secondary school that I went to... I, I, yeah, even though it was a private school, you'd think that the, the, te- the teaching and everything could be good, but even like the facilities were bad, and the, um, I think it was maybe the, I don't think that the, the teachers really related to a lot of the students and the, and the curriculum, what they were teaching, really connected with the people in the class, um, but that's, 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 my, that's my opinion, hence I didn't really get a lot of good grades when I was at, at, at secondary school.
0: So after university, you said you studied sports journalism. Um, Where did that take you after university?
2: Yeah, so whilst I was at university, I studied sports journalism. Um, Interestingly, I've not necessarily gone into sports journalism since I've had the degree. Now, I would say the degree has helped me with with writing my book, even though my book is not about sports, but the fact of the, the... it's helped me in terms of the use of my writing skills. So like in terms of how I was taught to write at university. So I've used uh, certain creative skills and I've been able to, um, put that implement that into my book. So the style of writing and, and techniques that I've taken from university and not, not just even helping just necessarily my book writing, but even I've done articles, um, in other places as well, but it's helped my writing in general. I've also got a radio show, um, on, on two radio stations. And again, when I was at university, I did have a radio show, um, and, um, which I was doing. So I would say, again, that's another skill that is, uh, that has helped me later down the line. So in, 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 in cells, which has been probably my main profession over the last 10 years, well, it has been my main profession over the top, the, the last 10 years. Um, even like some, some of the skills that you've learned in journalism can transfer, like questioning skills, like how you like question a customer. Um, some when you obviously when you're a journalist and you're um, speaking uh, speaking to people, you have to interview people, question people in a certain way, and come across in a confident kind of way. So I think some of those transferable skills um, have helped me in other fields that I've gone in on, gone on into in my life.
0: We're going to move on to your next selection now, which is Don Carlos Passing Glance. Why did you choose this selection?
2: Yeah, the the reason why I chose Passing Glance... um, Right, let me put into context now. Um, again, linking into my book, The Rise of Rastafari, right? and there's a part of my book where I talk about uh, Rastafari days of celebration. And it's the last chapter in my book. And that Rastafari days of celebration, one of the days we celebrate is Ground Nation Day. Yeah, And Ground Nation Day is on the 21st of April. And 21st of April... 1966 uh, was a day when His Imperial Majesty Heidi Selassie visited Jamaica for the first and only time. Now, in that book, in that song, sorry, um, Passing Glance, what, the uh, singer don carlos is talking about is talking about that experience of him seeing Heidi selassie when he came to jamaica and he, passing glance because obviously he only saw passing glance of him so that hence why he calls the song passing glance and and that's why i chose that and to to basically to expand more on uh ground nation day because it's a special day in the rastafari calendar um as you know the rasta movement it emerged in jamaica um the the early founders and followers um, were coming out of that island and on 1966 it, again it was a, it was the first time that a lot of them had been able or Rastafarians in general been able to actually see him in person Haile Selassie and it was it was a a very big occasion it was at, I think it was Pal- Palacido's airport. Um, it was that then it was believed it was called Norman Manley Airport but there was estimates of about 100,000 people that attended the airport um, that was at, 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 when Haile Selassie got there and um, during his trip when Haile Sassy was in uh, in Jamaica um, he greeted the Rastafarians and gave them medallions and, and something they told him was to organise and centralise and also during that trip he gave the Jamaican government money to build the Haile Selassie. High School, and he also extended uh, the. Um, he also invited the Jamaican government to be part of the organisation of African Unity. Now, organisation of African Unity is the name is uh, of the Africa. What well, was the African Union? Before the African Union was Organization of African Unity, and in 1963, Haile Selassie established the Organization of African Unity uh, with Kwame and Krima. and he actually he invited in Jamaica he invited uh, the Jamaican Jamaica to be a part of the Organization of African Unity because he recognised that they were still people connected to Africa um, because they were obviously um, but but in the diaspora. So that's some of the reason why I chose that song Passing Glance um, because of the context of Ground
0: Nation Day Here we go with Don Carlos Passing Glance Just a passing glance Was
3: all I had A first thought for i face. Just a passing glance Was all I had Oh yes Just a passing touch Of freedom I felt Within my soul, and it gives me the feeling that I'm gonna be the The people did rejoice to hear of the Father's words. I stayed with Him in the sight. It was not like a thousand years, it was a passing glance. That's all I had. First, far I first I face it was a passing glance, was all I right. Oh, yes. Just a passing touch of freedom I felt moving my soul.
0: And it gives me the feeling that I'm going to be free. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Please can you tell us your experience of Rasta and how you came to it?
2: Yeah, so myself, um, I'm 31 now. I'd say I've been raster for probably the last 10 years. Yeah, 10, maybe 11, 12 years. Um, initially, how I got into it was, <laughs> I, I, I'd, I'd always kind of like hear a lot of reggae music and people talk about Heidi Selassie, but I never understood when I was younger obviously what they were talking about. I just said, Selassie, Selassie. I remember I asked a few people, what's this Selassie that everyone's talking about? So then I wanted to like look and find out more into it. And then I remember there was this this book that I saw um, about Heidi Selassie. It was the autobiography of Heidi Selassie, volume one. And that book, when I saw it, it just stood out to me because... First, the the picture that I saw, highly sassy, he looks similar to me in terms of in terms of features, in terms of color, complexion, everything, and I, and, and I saw similarities in myself. And then, is you know, when particularly for us living in the UK, uh, you don't see a lot of, you don't hear a lot about, you know, black kings or queens um, or royalty, etc. And um, for me, I've always been someone who's seen seen a reflection of myself has always been p- important. Um, I, I supported Chelsea Football Club. and One of the reasons why I initially started supporting Chelsea Football Club because it was because of Rud it was because it was a black man that looked like me. And like, when I, when I saw that that uh, like, picture of Haile Selassie on the autobiography of Haile Selassie, um, I kind of just connected with it. And then from there, then I um, I, I purchased, I got the autobiography Haile Selassie, I read it, and then I looked. Into other information like documentaries, and 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 went to Rastafara events, reason with elder Rastas, and 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 study Rastafara and then just acquired a lot of information, and, and 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 then I think it resonated with me as someone who's got African Caribbean heritage background, coming from Jamaica. Um, obviously, uh, I was born here, but in terms of like heritage, like my mum's family, and. It was when when I when I found out exactly the philosophy about it, it was something that um, that really truly really resonated me in terms of the the, the aspect of identity and um, being almost like we're like in limbo, particularly for, for those of us in in the in the UK, um, because. Even our parents, they were still like Caribbean and um, so even the ones that came over in the Windrush generation, a lot of them were still like from from the West Indies. But we, for example, in England, it's like we're not even fully West Indies or we're not African, we're not English. It's like where do we kind of fit in? But Rastafari has always been, even in Jamaica, it's always been about identity, particularly people of African heritage um, claiming that identity. And one, one of the songs that I'm going to um, speak about later, Pete, Pete, Peter Tosh, I'm not going to go too into it, is about identity. So I, I, I'm going to move away cause I don't want to stay too much into that. Um, but yeah, a big part of it is about reclaiming the connection of Africa. And I can completely um, a- a- acknowledge that place and. On, on my heritage as being someone of, of African heritage through the Caribbean and in terms of like the philosophies of Pan-Africanism and, you know, people of African heritage, black people being self-sufficient and empowered, um, particularly based on what's happened over the last four five hundred years and even what's happened in this country, um, and the continued institutional racism, which is which still happens today, whether it's from maybe it's harsher in like, my parents' generation, but up until the, today, and the need for um, black people to be I- I empowered um, are definitely things that I. I, I was able to to to, to reson, resonate with and seeing things you know beyond the surface level, and seeing obviously the system, so-called Babylon system, and, and seeing how things are um, set out for set out at, at the at the moment to keep black people at the bottom and 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 down in the press oppressed, which, which have been for the last four or five hundred years, and the need for black people to unite and um, f- following on for the teachings of the honourable people like Marcus Mosiah Garvey and the early rasters like Leonard Percival Howell and what they was what they were striving for was, you know, for, 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 for black people to really to, to do for self and to say that, you know, we've got on right, we've got our own king. Um when Haile Sassy was crowned in the Emperor nineteen thirty, it was a response. It was a response to that cult black man, where's your king, where's your kingdom? And then Hali Sassi was crowned. So I I was able to relate on fully on it on on the various different aspects and, and various different layers.
0: And can you tell us the journey how that evolved into writing your book?
2: Yeah, so how it really evolved into writing a book is I was kind of like I don't know frustrated that so many people know of the name Rastafari right? As it but they don't actually know anything about it or be anything beyond surface level and it's often got so many different misconceptions yeah so like people don't so like people not every rastafari smokes ganja not every rastafari eats meat not every rastafari loves reggae not every rastafari like um believes that Heidi Selassie is the creator of the universe. There's, there's so many different things about Rastafari, and different aspects, whether it's the culture, whether it's the theology, and and, and that people don't know. But even I mentioned the Hawalites earlier, and a lot of people don't even know, like, for example, the people, that the original Rastafarians, like he, and some people that call themselves Rastafari don't even know that, that which is almost like being uh, being like a, a Muslim and not knowing the Prophet Muhammad is. We don't know Leonard Howitz in in a, in a way. So there's a lot that if information that need to come out which is often untold about Rastafari right? so I wanted to really get rid of a lot of the misconceptions that people have at Rastafari right? and then put out the information as well Cause, and sometimes it's not people are ignorant not necessarily because they just don't know any better because there's not they're not exposed to other information and there's not ways like a lot of places where people can go and find out and learn about Rastafarianism or people that are really talking about it maybe like 70s or the 60s they, it, when Rastafari was more popular in in the UK but particularly nowadays it's not a lot of places that people can go and find out a lot of knowledge and information of Rastafari so what I thought would be a good thing to do is to put in a book um, the knowledge um, of Rastafari to dispel some of the misconceptions and to give the whole the history of Rastafari and again one thing, one thing that's very important of it is I talk about the origins of Rastafari um, uh, people, uh, people how, and, and how the inception of Rastafari start with which is often untold, and it, and also with the origins of Rastafari, sometimes it's even untold by, by many of the elders of Rastafari themselves. As I mentioned earlier, a lot of times people in other groups, they, 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 they will talk about Boba Shanti or Twelve Tribes or Emmanuel or Prophet Gad, but they don't go to the origins of like the Hawalites and the Howl.
0: So in your opinion, what are the five foundations of Rastafari?
2: The five foundations, so one would have to be um, acknowledging Emperor Haile Selassie as even an idol or God or divine, um, I say people see it in different ways. So I want I to say not all to think that see I don't necessarily mean God as in creator of a universe because not all Rasters see Hades in that way. So you have some russers who who will literally see him like that. Others will see him as a reincarnation of Jesus Christ. Others will see him as an idol. Others would see him as a, as a as someone to acknowledge and, and pray. So people look at him in a different way. But they, but they, they, at the end of the day, you, there must be um, some some kind of praise. Of Emperor Haile Selassie, which which uh, at the central, the focal part of it. Um, in o- in other things that I would say is part of it is um, the black liberation. So unification of black people, pan Africanism, um, as in black people being un- united and coming together, and that could be in in so many different ways. Um, Self sufficiency, as in black people being independent, and 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 doing for self, uh, which is following on from the teachings. People like the Honourable Marcus Messiah Gar- sorry Marcus Masai Garvey. Um, race first is another principle of Garvey that he taught, and and the early founder Leonard Percival Howell taught, um, which is um, black love, which which they preached earlier. Not not one love, which you've seen more. But um, which which kind of were not turned into, but we've seen being more advocated by the mainstream Um, commercialization. um But I would definitely say that is, is is black love is one one part of it. I'm, I'm not sure how many points I've point <laughs> how many
0: points I've pointed out. You got one more identity.
2: Um, is green connecting with Africa? It's all about Africa, Africa being connected to Africa, um, and reconnection with our heritage. And I want to add repatriation to Africa as well, which is, could all kind of fit into the identity in Africa. But yeah, the ultimate goal of Rastafari right, is to re- re- repatriate to Africa um, for the, the empowerment of Africa, for us to go back to our, our, our love, our, our motherland, and to make make Africa prosper uh, as much as we want as as, as it can.
0: Right, we're going to move on to your next selection, which is McKenna featuring Dwayne Stevenson, Africa Awaits. Why did you choose this selection?
2: Yeah, the reason why I chose that selection, um, it sticks out to me when I was actually in Gambia. Um, I'm, You mentioned at the, at the start of the show that I'm also the author of the life in Gambia, the smiling coast of Africa. Now, I've been to Gambia three times now in 2019 at one time i was living there for six months but i first heard this song on my second trip when i was in gambia i think would have been february 2019 when i was there for like just a week and i remember we went to a, a, like a reggae party on the beach and i was playing a lot of reggae and rasafari inspired reggae music you know conscious reggae roots and stuff and I remember being on the beach and and that song, listening to it, and then uh, it just resonated with me at the time. I mean, because of like being a, a Rastafarian and Pan African, and being on this kind of, this this route of repatriation and Black consciousness in general. So, so, but when I think that that summed up my experience, particularly of being in Africa, Africa awakes. Because when I was in the Gambia, the times I went to the Gambia, the the, um, the the time prior to that and that trip. And even since then, yeah, when I've stayed there for six months, um, but I think that when I heard that track at that that particular time when I was on the beach, I was just like, yeah, Um, well, and and based on my experiences now that I know. That repatriation is definitely for, for the way forward. is definitely for me because when I was in Africa, I just connected with the people, and I and I connected. It was just it just fully connected with me. It connected to me with my, with my the people. Connected with my mind. My health was better. It connected with my spirit. It just it was just. I just knew this was just where I was meant to be, um, and. Yeah, I mean, I've got Caribbean. Uh, I mentioned earlier, my mum's Caribbean. My dad is a bit was born in Africa anyway, so maybe obviously I've. I think even though I wasn't brought up with my my dad. A lot of that has still, in terms of like me being like African conscious, because he's very knowledgeable and he's very conscious in that kind of sense. I think I've taken a lot of that uh, uh, that on from him as well, in terms of his knowledge of Africa, etc. But. I think when I when I heard that song, um, Afri- Africa awaits. At that particular time, when I, when I first heard it, it was just to me. It was it just summed up to me that you know Africa awaits. I'd always thought of it, and then when I would actually been into Africa and experienced Africa like I was, I was like, yeah, no, it's it's definitely for you know for, for, for me to come home.
0: Here we go with Africa awaits. I know how place we can be free.
4: Not here, where we are bound with mental slavery, yeah. Come here, I'll take you to this land Am I? Am I? Don't fail, everyone can come along yeah. Africa, away, always hey, children come I'm home, home. Come Mama, home. Africa, away. away. I went sir, Children come on Africa away I the I children come home Hey mama Africa away I wet I Children come home
0: Now you mentioned before that last selection that we just heard um, a little bit of your interaction with Africa. Um, was Gambia the first time that you went to Africa? And since going to Africa, have you travelled anywhere else within the continent?
2: Now, Gambia is the is the first time that I've been to Africa, um, and it's the only country I've been to Africa so far. I didn't plan to go to more countries, um, but I first went. 2018 I think it was December 2018 for a week and then I went back in February 2019 and then I spent six months living in Gambia from July 2019 to January to or the end of December 2019 and um, hence my book little life in Gambia the smiling coast of Africa I decided to do or to (laughs) write that book based on my experience of, um, of being in Africa um, and, it, and it covers various different things um, within that book such as you know the culture, um, what I did like on an everyday life kind of thing, my time when I was working with Blacksit on a on, on YouTube channel and um, I mean I went to a naming ceremony or I went to a wedding. I, I did quite a lot when I was over there and how I mingled with the everyday local people.
0: So you just mentioned your works with YouTube channel Blacksit. There has been positive mention about Blacksit and their works in trying to repatriate and working towards citizenship for diasporans in the Gambia. And there has also been negative mention about Blacksit in terms of people trying to purchase land with them and they're not receiving the land. Can you clear things up from your perspective? With your time with Black Zit.
2: Okay, so I explain first. I mean, how I was involved in Black Zit. So when I was in Gambia, um, me and a lady called Judith Ryan, Judith Ryan, is the founder of Black Zit, and there's a, a YouTube vlogger called Wada Maya who visited Gambia. At, at eight, um I think he visited Gambia August it was the end of August or start of start of, to the start of September. I think it was in the end of August and it went into the start of September. But when he was in Gambia in twenty nineteen, he interviewed Julia um and Julia had a uh, a video, and in that video she said England's a dump, and it had a lot of views. And then later on, he set up he whilst he was still in Gambia, set up a YouTube channel with her. Now, me and Julia, we hadn't met face to face in England, but we know a lot of friends because we're both community activists. For I mean, we've both been community activists for years in England. So, um and actually, actually know her uncle. Um, I didn't know this at the time until I came into to, Gambia, but I knew her her uncle um, Russel and other people. In the community, and she reached out to me on on Facebook uh, whilst I was in Gambia because she knew I was in Gambia. She reached out and said she wanted to interview me. And this was like I think on the like the first week. This was after like a couple of videos had come out, a few videos. And I said, "All right, that's fine." And I was like, "I want to interview you as well because I was looking to do a documentary about Gambia then as well." So I went to her house, did the interview, and. After the interview, she was, like, saying she's looking for someone to to do some work, to work with her, to do, like, the the videos, the video camera work and editing. So I was like, well, this is actually, I can use this, and this is more going on to as well and how I use my skills from journalism um, that I studied at university, even though it was sports journalism but journalism in general because um, I did a lot of video editing um, and journalist obviously work while I was at university so I was like yeah this, this this suits me because I've got these kind of skill sets and I've done other little jobs as well where I've done journalist works and video editing so I was like yeah I can record the vi- uh, videos and, and do the editing so then I started working on her from there which is pretty much from the inception of likes it and i worked to her for three months juliet was obviously did, did a lot of the presenting i did the um the video editing and the filming, I was like the, the blacks that basically behind the camera, she was in front of the camera, there's a couple of videos that I came in front of the camera, like when I did a lecture of my book in schools, and um, a couple of other times as well, but we did basically the A to Z of the Gambia we, we went into the supermarkets, we went into the medical centres, we showed people basically that yes, Africa is, is a lot nicer, or it has things which you would expect in the West that is in Africa, because a lot of our people have still got under that propaganda, there's a lot of people that have got, moved back from Africa um, that that that'll set up businesses, hotels, restaurants, etc. We interviewed them uh, and, and also talked about their journey as well as um, we tried to promote local Gambian businesses. So we went into local Gambian businesses, restaurants and talked to people and tried to push them and promote them as well. And Blanks, it got really, really big. And during the time that I was working with them, for the, I think the Thor months that I was working with them, I mean, on average, we'd had about 10,000 people that were watching our videos per show. And I, I remember we even had people at the um, messages that would send us their videos that I would upload. And um, we had gatherings. A lot of people are in the Gambia as a result of blags. A lot of people came and said that, you know what, we saw your videos and that's why we're in we're, we're in, in, in the Gambia. Every week we used to have a link up called At Solomon's by the Beach where people could meet us and talk and um you know, if they want advice, we give them advice and help them if we can or if they just want to socialise, a lot of people just want to socialise and spend time with us. We spend time with us. I mean, Julia opened a lot of people up, a lot of people um, visit, visited us, visited her home and um, as, as a result of the work we're doing, I'm happy that I've been a pioneer. A lot of people have made that route back to Africa and it's opened the door for a lot of people because a lot of people before that never even knew where Gambia was. Like, Gambia wasn't being spoken about before then. All these YouTube channels that you've seen come after a lot of these they weren't there before we started doing the black city youtube channel so the the role that black city has played in facilitating a lot of people back to gambia and even before this whole i know we're talking about the stuff on youtube has come out about land etc is a lot of people were just were, have are now living in gambia the best lives better than they're living in the diaspora because of the work that myself and juliet ryan was doing um now, in terms of like the land, etc., I, I, I left to go to England in. Um, December, the end of December So I stopped working with Blacksit At the end of December um, me, me and Juliet were still on very good terms And we still speak um, However, when I I, I Left uh, Blacksit Just before they started um, Getting involved in like in, in Land and that kind of stuff So I don't know really too much About that, and I, that wasn't my area In terms of, I was more The video editor, the recorder, and also Like a, a, a director, like a consultant and to to julia as well a bit advisor um but i, I didn't get involved in terms of any of their deal, dealings of land or anything like that
0: okay so it's not something that you would want to comment on because it's not part of what how you're involved
2: yeah it's not part of my, my involved it's, it's not it's not really my place i don't know here or this so it's not it wouldn't really be my place to, to comment on that
0: okay we are going to move on to your next selection, which is the natural lights and the sticks Picture on the Wall. Why did you choose this selection?
2: Yeah, Picture on the Wall, I think, again, that's a, a special song to me and it brings uh, a moment in, in time and the, the way that it stands out to me. I remember when I first heard that song and I had this massive picture on the wall of, of Haile Selassie um i think that time i was living in southampton and uh i, I had this picture on the wall Haile selassie and when i heard that song i was just like oh i've got a picture on the wall of highly selassie and that's why i guess it re- that's why it resonated to me because it was it's picture of the wall and i got a massive picture on the wall of highly selassie so um yeah that was, uh, i think the 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 significance of that song um on a broader context now um is that a shift in 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 terms of the people from the uh Windjus generation and their children so uh, let me uh, talk now about the the rastafari presence in england and the windus generation which i mentioned in the chapter of my book when i say rastafari in england which is in the rise of rastafari resistance redemption and repatriation by McConnell and for myself now what I mentioned in there is the, the, as as I mentioned to you a little bit earlier, the, the Windrush generation, people like my grandparents coming from the Caribbean and settling in England it's between 1948 and 1970. Now. A lot of them, when they came here, um, because of they were still coming from like, colonial, colonialism, and before colonialism, not, not them personally, but ancestors, historically, slavery, so they still had a lot of the vestiges of colonialism and the mentality of, of slave mentality, etc. And um, they were really told you know things black or bad and to look towards things like white or european and that was revenant in terms of most people's picture in the house you would see like a lot of people's picture in the house you would see like the queen elizabeth because the queen invited them to england you see queen elizabeth we saw a white picture jesus christ that was on a lot of people's wall and they held up these kind of british values you know they don't wanted the children or their grandchildren to teach to, to talk patois in the house and that you must speak good british and all those kind of all these kind of British values that uh, and. Oh one of the, the things that, 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 that resonates to me in natural acts is the shift whereas the, the Windrush generation when they first come here they were very kind of more humble and submissive um, whereas the, the next generation the first generation of black Brits their children um, they basically saw the society which was very racist at the time you had like the NF the teddy boys that beat up black people you would go to places like on the houses and it would be like no dogs no blacks no Irish and the educational system 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 was bad was racist the police was bad it would pick up black people in the street put them in the truck arrest them beat them up all that kind of stuff so the whole like the system the 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 british system was against them and they basically the 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 first generation of black bits saw the system was screwing them over i saw it was screwing over their parents and they were more um they were rising up against that hence you have stuff like the uh the, the, the the brixton right um yeah, the Brixton riots. You have stuff like the, um, the 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 battle in Lewisham and other kind of things, and 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 more protests, um, such as like even like the 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 1981 the the New Cross the protest after that, and uh, the march, and and all kinds of things where you saw the younger generation that was more. Not, not having it, and, and 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 one of the things that you notice, uh, I think, that symbolises the shift is, um, as a lot of pe- uh, the, the children or the younger generation, the first generation of Black Brits, started to identify with with Rastafari, and. Um, a lot of them had a a picture of Heidi Selassie on the wall, and that simplified the shifting attitudes and the shifting generation between their parents' generation, which would have had a white imagery on the wall, whether it would have been the queen or it would have been a white picture of Christ, to now a new black consciousness, a consciousness saying that now we've got a picture on the wall of a king that looks like us or Someone that we look up to as God, or so we've got someone within our own image that we're, that we're looking to, and I think that was a, that's a big um, shift, and that just symbolises the the difference in, in consciousness between the two generations.
0: Here we go with the naturalites and the realistic picture on the wall. In my- Now, can you tell us of five things that before you went to Gambia, you maybe had preconceptions about? Five things that you didn't know or had no idea about before you actually went to Africa?
2: (laughs) You're making me think on the spot now. I didn't really go with with a lot of these pre-perceived misconceptions because... um, I'd been in, like, for example, in, in pan-Africanism and, and black conscious circles and Rasta circles. So I, I was going in there uh, with a positive outlook on, on Africa. I never thought, you know, I'm going to Africa. Like, some people are going to think that they're going to Africa. And they think that they're going to the bottomless pit or they're going to the jungle or this, that, and the other. I never had any of that kind of uh, any thinking at all. So I didn't know what to expect, to be honest. I was surprised maybe by one could, how friendly and how warm is the people? I thought the people would re- be receptive towards me, but I didn't know that they would be so receptive. So the hospitality of the people, Gambia are like the friendliest people you ever meet. That's why Gambia is called The Smiling Coast of Africa. And it's the title of my, it's a subtitle of my book, Life in Gambia, The Smiling Coast of Africa, because the people are so um, so kind and so friendly, um, which is something that I wasn't quite expecting them to be that, <laughs> to be that to be that friendly so i think that was um that that's probably definitely the uh, the biggest the biggest thing that um I, i was taken back with
0: okay is there anything about africa that you wish you'd known before you got there so you got there and um you were there for six months in the first instance Um, What were the things that you came back and told your friends and relatives in terms of if they wanted to move out there, then really you should know about this, this and that?
2: Uh, Okay, I think there's several things. Um, I would say... I mentioned before, the, the the people are friendly, but uh, like anywhere you're going, but this applies to anyone in the world, always be cautious. Um, uh, particularly if you're going there as a, uh, as a, as a um, because you will go there, somebody, they will look at you as like a foreigner or a tourist. So um, just be mindful that, uh, that yeah, people will be friendly, but then there's a fine line between whether it's friendly or, um, you're making sure you're not getting taken advantage of at the same time as well. So just keep your eye on things, just like you would do anywhere in the, in the world, just like, because uh, Gambia is a lot safer than it is, let's like, say, in um, well, in England and in, in London, or a lot safer than America, where a lot of people are moving from. <clears throat> but you just like, I'll just say, just like you would in London or America, anywhere else, you know what? Um, just always kind of, Um, watch out for yourself or don't do things there that you wouldn't do over here over here Um, yeah so that's 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 definitely something that I would that I would say I think sometimes when people go to Africa or Gambia for example um they do things that, that they wouldn't necessarily do if they were back at home in their own country. And, and this, this applies to people's personal safety. Um, and this could also apply to you know people if they if they're getting like say for example they want to purchase land or etc. I mean um, if you're if you're if you're going to um, look at acquiring land whether it, whether you're in Gambia or whether you're acquiring land over here, I would personally recommend you always go to, to Gambia and check out the land yourself. Um, don't do any dealings from here over and and, and send money words, Go check out the land for yourself. Make sure it is where it is. Um, I'll preferably say go buy, um, go buy, go buy a place if you've got the money. That's already done rather than actually buy land because if you actually if you're buying the land, um, you don't necessarily depending on who you're dealing with. You don't know who that who that person is that you're that you could be dealing with or etc. And 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 um, it, it's just basically a longer process process sometimes getting land in, in, in Gambia so I would say if you've got the money financially it would just be easier to, um, to to buy the house ready built also as well because even if you do purchase the land and um, there's not a problem when you purchase the land it could be con- um, you may have problems with um, with your builders and I know people that have um, that have tried to build land but they've had problems with you know getting the, the people staff there in terms of like the, getting the builders of good standard and getting builders that are sometimes not going to try and charge them extra your money for, for 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 doing things that um for extra equipment which is not necessarily needed or trying to charge more for the equipment uh, etc not saying again saying that you can you can get that in, anywhere in the world but i'm just saying that these are these are just things to uh, to watch out for for people that are that are moving to the gambia and also i would say emerge yourself with the local um the local people particularly if you're going from the diaspora or don't just keep to your own like diasporan networks or diasporan circle um, if you're going to go to Africa or the think that you're going there for a reason to try and find out as much as you can about you know the culture the heritage find out about the different tribes there's different tribes there's like Wolof, Mandinka Jola um, if you can even um, get like if you can if you're going to be there for long find out a bit more about the language uh, their foods like when I went there i went to like the villages uh, weddings etc but yeah be amongst the you know the everyday people that the, the more i think you obviously the mingle and, and and you're around the everyday people and share them your experience as well so because we can learn off of each other they can learn off of you can learn off of them about their experience but we could they can also learn off of you about your experience about your uh, about where you're coming from as well so um i would just say be yourself don't flat don't be flashy um because you'll come across as a snob because the reality is, Gambia is a country where the people are. A lot of people don't have a lot of money there, so it's a poor country economically. And um, if you are going there, um, and you are, you know, flashing your stuff or you're, you're you're being a certain way, you're you're gonna make yourself a big target, and um, you, and you'll come across as very arrogant. So just realize that you may be have a certain amount of money that you're more a bit more privileged in that environment than a lot of the everyday local people, but um, but be. Humble amongst it. Even the Gambians that have like gone from like, to England and the diaspora and then they go to Gambia and they live in big houses or palaces or like, almost like big palaces and stuff like that I've seen when I've been in Gambia. Um, they're as humble. And you a lot of times you wouldn't even know the way that they have like, that kind of house or places that they live into. Um, and they're just, they're just humble as the everyday people. So Gambia are, are people that are humble as, as, as a whole. So I would just say... Um, be, 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 make sure that you humble yourself if you're going there
0: and before we move on to your next selection where are your favourite places in the Gambia
2: my favourite places is this now like um, areas or is it like a restaurant hotel like what kind of
0: I leave it completely up to you. It might be a um, nature spot, it might be a restaurant, it might be... Where is your favourite... Like, if somebody said, "Okay, we're going to the Gambia, but I'm teleporting you there and you can only go to three places, where would they be?
2: (laughs) Uh, That's a difficult one, you know, because there's so many, like... Because I wouldn't say there's, like, particular places that I'm, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to go to because I would, i would just say like all over the Gambia was is like an exp, was it was just a good experience w- within itself. I would say where I stayed, where I lived, I guess the area is called Bidilo. Um and in in terms of like where I stayed in in, in Bidilo, it's a good location because it was it was it was near Senegambia, like the main strip or the main area Is Senegambia, so i would say um if you're depending on what you want because it is it's different for everyone but like senegambia is near the the um it's like where like the main tourist part is and um but it's got a lot of bars restaurants clubs so that's like if, if that's your scene not that it wasn't necessarily for me but i'm just saying that if you're like a, going there for maybe a week or two weeks and you want to maybe put your foot up or, or or that kind of that kind of um uh, that kind of thing, then you might want to, you know, go for an evening to one of the bars it's at, at, at Senegambia. It, that, that that that's one option. Uh, Gambia's got beautiful beaches, so um, there's several beaches that you may want to go to in in the, in the Gambia. Um, Domino's Beach. I was actually saying, we were talking about a bit earlier. I went to a reggae party, but Domino's Beach. Uh, which is in Kotu um, that's somewhere that I would recommend I've been there in the day as well but um, yeah that, that beach particularly when it's reggae night uh, when it was, like, I think it's every Friday and Sundays was reggae night but particularly Fridays we um, go to reggae night in, 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 in at Domino's um, yeah Domino's Beach Bar uh, which which basically just ex- is a bar which extends onto the beach they always play nice reggae music um, on a Friday there and, it, and it's like a, a really nice environment so so I would recommend um that it's nice being there in the night at, at a reggae party because the vibes and it's also nice being there in the day as well I've been there in the day and you get to see like the surroundings and the beach and it's beautiful so um that's that's another place that I would recommend um And, you know, I'm going to shout out to my friend Marley Morris, who's got a a restaurant in Gambia as well. I'm going to mention him um, as a a third place. My my friend Marley has got a restaurant called Motu uh, in the Gambia. It used to be called Masaya's, um, but it's now called Motu, which is in Colony. And um, yeah, they have got some of the best Jamaican food. They've got like your snapper, your curry goat, jerk chicken, what you would normally expect at a Jamaican restaurant. Um, The food is really nice when I was over in the Gambia um I, I would often go to to him I think we, we actually did we did a video on one of the or one of the videos when I was with Black said Juliet we actually did a video of his restaurant um but yeah Marley he used he, he moved he used to be in Kotu um, near Domino's beach where I mentioned but he's now in poly and it's called Motu um but yeah I would, I, I would, I would recommend it. it's just a nice chilled out spot to, to go to. And, and it reminds me a bit of, obviously, I was brought up on Jamaican food, so it's it's a familiar kind of food that I like, hence why I, you know, I like being there.
0: We're going to move on to your next selection, which is Nature Revolution. Why did you choose this selection?
2: Yeah, Nature Revolution, I chose it... Um, I think over the years and over time, um, Rastafari really started as, as as a revolutionary movement. It was like challenging the status quo. It was it opposed. It was anti-colonialism. It was um, resistance to to white supremacy. It was it was black empowerment. It was like you know what. You know what, it was revolutionary at the time for, for people to 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 praise uh, a black god or a black king, uh, that that ki- that concept and um the, the the things even when I and I was looking at the um reading a book, um, The Rise of Ra- the, not my my book, the the first Rasta which talks about Lennon Howell and the inception of Rastafari, right? and um i think it was blade howl who's Howe's son and he, and he was talking about you know what his his dad's um Howell was 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 standing up for and he was saying that he he, he believed that you know black people was just as equal as, as 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 white people and this was the kind of stuff that he was he was propagating and and, and fighting for and um he was really a freedom fighter in 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 Jamaica. Uh, L- Let personal how, uh, in my personal opinion, he should be a Jamaican a Jamaican national hero for certainly what not just what he's done in. in in the Rastafari movement which is spread globally in establishing pinnacle um he's also a man that was known to go around the streets of Jamaica and give um give money to people that were poor but in terms of like Rastafari that that you know that that spirit of of um of of a revolution I think that was there that 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 the the early founders had and the early years and even even going into the 70s 80s but I think now it's it's changed it's gone from more of like a revolutionary thing to more like kind of of like a one love kind of thing or and more to a a kind of like a religious thing as well where where you have individuals or, or more groups and they and it becomes like a, a kind of like organized religion kind of thing where you have like um where you have like a oh, well, like a church or a tabernacle, and there's dietary laws, and there's these rituals, and all of that kind of stuff, and and I kind of think it's de- de- derived from the, the original message of, of of black liberation, which was the original message of of right and um, for black people to be empowered and self sufficient, and to to have a, have have a nation and to to to, to, to build for self, and the, 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 I think the revolutionary spirit over the time um, has 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 uh, obviously what Rastafari has been watered down over the time, so I think that particularly song. says a message of, of, of what needs to come back into Rastafari, right? Rastafari needs to needs to get that back that, that that revolutionary spirit which is leading on from people like uh, Marcus Messiah Garvey, um, who, who who influenced the Rasta movement and then the the, the early founders, um and, and, and many of the, the, the pioneers and what they what they were standing for. They faced severe discrimination and a persecution. And I mentioned this in my book, one of the chapters in my book is a persecution of Rastafari. Right, and Rastafari throughout the years has faced persecution, and whether it is in, in 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 this country where a lot of the, a lot of the cho- um, children who turn Rasta got kicked out by their own parents, whether it was in Jamaica, where a lot of um, uh, a lot of the Rastafarians in Jamaica, people walking around with their locks had their locks cut off and people used to call them Dutty Rasta and all of these kind of discrimination by their own own black people in, in, in Jamaica, the same people that they were trying to save was almost like slapping them in the face, so to speak. and. All of the, all of this for, 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 for black people for, for Rastafari for trying to stand up for, you know, for black people's rights and say that you should be proud to be black be more like proud to be African and um and look to be, to reconnect to our African heritage and our African roots. In the Caribbean today there's still a lot of people that that will completely reject the fact that they're African and will just say that, like, No, they don't to really tell me I'm African, I'm Jamaican or I'm a Trinidad or that kind or of. Or whatever. So um, Rastafari for really standing up for you know for, for has really been a a, a movement to stand up for black black power movement to stand up for black people's rights and it's been it's been ostracized because of it. But the, the the revolutionary spirit is almost like now it's it's turned into more of like a mediocre culture where you know people go to a reggae festival and they and listen to some like reggae and and and, and Bob Marley and some kind of one love thing and and, and like a hippie movement where people smoke ganja and this that and the other particularly like festivals in Europe and places and which is is not what the 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 intention of of um of of rastafara is and even when i went to the gambia i can can draw a reference to the gambia it's like in gambia they think that all rasta is is like hairstyles that someone has locks on their hair that makes them that makes them rastafara which is not true because there's rastafarians like myself who don't have locks and then there's rastafarians who've got locks down to their legs but then they they're still not rastas and the people that have got locks will tell you they're not rastas so um it's a lot deeper beyond just a, just a hairstyle and um in in terms of getting people to understand the, uh, the it from a uh, from more of a, a a conscious perspective and the the, the role that Rastafari uh, plays as a as a black liberation movement. I think the the revolutionary spirit, which is really um, something that has yeah has has been almost like yeah whitewashed or watered down from the movement over the years.
0: Here we go with nature revolution.
1: Mama mama mama, papa papa sister brother Look yeah Look look out yeah. The system got to change We got to get it rearranged Oh, oh, oh. We gotta change eh yeah. Don't you know Talking about a revolution sounds. Don't you know how the cry of poor people sound? While they're standing in the voting lines, crying on the doorsteps of those so-called politicians, wasting time acting like you're blind, sitting around. Sound Don't you know how the cry
0: of poor people sound? What do you feel that your role is within this revolution?
2: Uh, definitely, in terms of, you already see as my as my rise of Rastafari Rastafar right. Um, it's to to, to to give out the the education information because people need uh, access to information because if if you if you if people don't have the information then they 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 won't know what something is. So I'll give you an example that so you kind of have a lot of people that maybe grew around Rastas in the seventies and the eighties but they didn't really grasp the full concept of it with some maybe it could be because that kind of information wasn't available because it could be just because they listened to Bob marley on vinyl record it could but there's, there's various different reasons but the, the education is uh is essential all of the african leaders have always talked about how important education is whether it's malcolm x marcus garvey um his Majesty Haile Selassie himself, who was the Minister of Education in, um, whilst running the country, whilst it was Emperor, and he he um he actually cha- uh, had a one of his palaces he turned into a university, and he and he really tried to do a lot to um to bring about education in in um in Ethiopia, and because he realised that for Ethiopia to kind of be on par with the, the Western nations, they would need to be edu- they would need to be educated, uh or, or or into a higher level than they were currently. At and education is is, is so important, um, and it doesn't necessarily just have to even be a, a book, it could be that like, people could be educated by the way that we've had this conversation, it could be the radio shows that I do, it could be you know my Black Books webinar platform, um, which I have other authors that come on and also share their stories. So, it doesn't always so share their stories about different uh, black authors that have got different books from different genres, they learn about different experiences, they a part of history, different parts of culture. Um, so it's really um but making sure you're getting across that knowledge through education. Um social media is a powerful platform that we've got now because we can be in contact with anyone anywhere over the world, like whether because uh social media whether it is through, you know, WhatsApp, Facebook, um, YouTube, all of these kind of platforms. And it's it's about really connecting uh, Africans, particularly on the diaspora, with, on the continent. Uh, as, as I mentioned before, um, Rastafari's ultimate goal really is, is repatriation to Africa, pro- the prosperity of Africa, and for Africa to prosper. People in the diaspora are gonna to need to connect need to connect with people in the continent. Um, there's there's things we can learn from Africans in the continent and there's things that they need us they need can need help with, with us in the diaspora. So being also part of that connection and being part of the person that's gonna bridge that gap. Like when I went into Gambia, I did lectures about not just Rastafari, but you know what the experience of weight is as a black diaspora in the in the UK, given them even that kind of education in Gambia that like would they would not necessarily have had um, if I had been there because even though gambia is like um it, it, it's, it's i don't want to go too much into the, into into this but even though gambia is like a, a place where slavery happened they don't they don't know a lot about it particularly once they once they left so it's almost like once a lot of our ancestors left from the shores of gambia they kind of like vanish so they all of a sudden just become european but they don't really know about the experience in the caribbean certainly even not how we got to England and that kind of stuff. So giving them experience, giving them knowledge about the experience of, you know, black people in the diaspora so they can relate to us better and realise how we are connected to them as well with Africa because they they don't, a lot of them don't, in Africa particularly, don't have that kind of knowledge that we don't, don't have, a lot of them, but if they live in, and this could go to Gambia, could go to Ghana, if they, if they live in certain places, particularly if it's rural places, they're not necessarily have all the access to information that we have, so they might just know what's what's around their surroundings. And I noticed this when I was in Gambia, it was like um a lot of times a lot of the Gambians they wouldn't even know like countries which are in other parts of Africa. So for example maybe South East Africa or East Africa, they would know just about like Gambia or maybe a few neighbouring countries. So um that that's that's important. That's also important as well to, to make sure that they can get the knowledge. But I can understand because if someone's been brought up in a certain area uh, and they don't have so much information, they're just gonna know what's in their surrounding. But giving making sure that the access of information can get to people and different kinds of information as well um, is very, very 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 important. And um, yeah, I see I see my role is. Very, very important, I would say, is as, as particularly as, um, as as an educator, I've got my own platforms that I do. But all, whether it's educating myself or also you know other people that I know that I've got uh, knowledgeable information that can also pass on as well.
0: Speaking of which, we've heard of your two books and you've mentioned some of your other works. Can you let people know where they can support your works and where they can also interact with you? <sighs>
2: Yeah, uh, in terms of where they can support my works, my book, The Rise of Rastafari, Resistance, Redemption and Repatriation, it's available on Amazon, so you can get a copy. It is in paperback and it's in ebook. So, whether you want a, a physical copy of, you want a, an ebook to read, you can do that. It's a it's a great read, great read. Uh, there's a lot of information in there. Uh, I think it's got about 70, 76 reviews the last time I checked. Uh, yeah, it, it's a really really good read, essential book. Now I would say not just for Rastafarians, and that's an important thing I want to say. It's not a book just for Rastafarians. It's a book for all people of African heritage to read uh, that I would say that they should have in their house it it covers a lot, uh, even though it's a book on Rastafari, it covers a lot about Uh, Black history, uh, black culture, and identity in in general. And it talks about obviously Africa, the Caribbean, England, and different experiences um, in in the different places. And our leaders um, uh, like Heidi Selassie, Marcus Garvey, Leonard Howell, and other people, uh, and, and, and various other things in there, like Ethiopian history, Jamaican history, right? Now, the book, Life in Gambia, The Smiling Coast of Africa, that can also be purchased on Amazon. Um, and again, that is available in paperback and ebook. And that book is another essential read as well, particularly for people that have got interest in the Gambia, um, that have never been uh, to, to the Gambia. Uh, or maybe have been once but want to know a lot more about the Gambia that gives a very uh, a broad range of information such as culture um, tribes um, event, uh, events that I've been to like weddings languages uh, there, there's a lot of information um, that is in that book that is still current and, and also I'll talk about business opportunities that could possibly you could possibly do in the Gambia as well so there's, that book is like a part experience where I talk about my experiences but then also a guide as well because there's a lot of information where i i I guide people um and and it's written from that perspective as well
0: well thank you so much we will be obviously sharing all of those links in the description we've gone well over the hour so i really just want quick answers for these quick fire um questions i've just got two quick fire questions Um, if you could um go anywhere in africa Um, So if you could give us three countries that you really, really want to go to on your next trip, say if you was given a load of money and you could go anywhere in Africa, three countries. Uh,
2: Nigeria, Ghana and Gambia.
0: You can't say Gambia, you've been to Gambia, somewhere new.
2: Okay, Zambia. Okay. No, Ethiopia, Ethiopia, sorry.
0: Okay, and could you tell us why?
2: yeah yeah nigeria is the the country in africa with the, the 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 um the biggest black population um or in africa anywhere in the world so nigeria um i've got a lot of nigerian friends as well so um and i've heard it's a good place to do business but there's other reasons more reasons but because we um basically for time i want to park go on to my uh, next country as well so my my next country i chose uh was ghana so um ghana my surname is actually uh, sankofa i i i renamed myself to sankofa um which is from the Akan tribe in ghana a lot of um people in Ghana were taken from a lot of the, the the enslaved Africans were taken from Ghana to the Caribbean so you've got um, so yeah that's why it's significant obviously they had the year of return as well so Ghana is um, a place of significance as well to me um Ethiopia um, obviously that's the land of his majesty Haile Selassie so I'll want to go to see Haile Selassie like the the, the palace and um and also I, I I look myself I look Ethiopian I think if I go there I think the think that I'm one of them because of my complexion and my features and everything but um yeah Ethiopia is is, is significant because of the whole Rasta movement exactly
0: and three books three must read books your favourite three books
2: it can't be my books can it
0: no you can't put your own in <laughs> they've got to be other people's works
2: <laughs> ok um, I wish I prepared for this now right I'm, I'm trying to think um, all right, I'm, I'm going to give you just three good books that I've read um, is that ok
0: I'll accept it yeah it's ok
2: Yeah. There's another book um, called "Rasta and Resistance, which is actually one of the books I looked at when I was reading my book um, as reference, which is a really, really good read. Um, Yeah, so I would say if you can uh, get a copy of that, Rust and Resistance, that's also good. Uh, The Autobiography of Haile Selassie, Volume 1. Uh, that's another good book that I've uh, that I've read. I've read some of it. I haven't finished all of it. Um, the philosophies and opinion of Marcus Garvey. Uh, that, that's also another book um, that, I, that I could recommend as well
0: okay well thank you ever so much for sharing all of your works with all of us today we do have one final selection from you which is peter tush africa can you tell us why you chose this selection please yeah
2: because in a nutshell um it sums up uh, Rastafari right, and it embodies it. Um, Peter Tosh said where he 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 mentions that no, no matter if you're a black man, no matter where you're you're born, whether you're whether you're born in England, whether you're born in Europe, whether you're born in America, no matter where you're born from in the world, that you, um, as long as you're a black man, you've got the identity of an African. And um, in essence, that's that's what Rastafari is really about. It's about connecting people that had that um, our ancestors had uh, uh, down to us who lost their culture heritage um and being proud and uh, reclaiming our african identity and acknowledging that you know we we are africans regardless of whether we was born in africa or not marcus garvey said you know africa for the africans those at home and those abroad
0: thank you so much for being a guest on this week's episode of reggae uprising podcast
2: thank you very much for having me
0: I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you would like to connect with McConnell, as this is what this show is all about, I will leave all of those links in the description for you to connect. If you would like to connect with me, all you need to do is go to daniel.co.uk. That's D A N I E A L.co.uk. And I will also leave that link in the description for you also. Get in touch with me via the contact page, via social media. I would love to hear from you. I hope you have a wonderful week. Make sure you're back here next Wednesday for a fresh and new episode. Until then, I'm going to leave you with the high vibrations of Peter Tosh, Africa. As always, blessed love. Thank you where you come from.
4: As long as you're a black man, you're an African No mind your nationality, you have got the identity of an African Cause if you come from Clarendon, and if you come from Portland And if you come from Westmoreland, you're an African So don't care where you come from As long as you're a black man You're an African No mind your nationality You have got the identity